Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Invisible Not Broken. And I finally, finally got my friend back. I'm so excited. So you might have seen I reposted her interview. It was the first interview ever on Invisible Not Broken. So serious history here. Um, I have Dawn back, and she has gone through one hell of a year or so of doing uh Oh gosh, I'm, my words are so bad. This it's, is what happens when I take I major painkiller. Investigational study. So it's not a clinical study, it's investigational. It's in a world between uh, clinical and commercialization. So it's it's the redheaded stepchild to clinical trials. I love how that's phrased. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, we Nothing all have like, against redheaded stepchild. No, no, and uh, my, my son would be one of those. Yes, so yes. We, we are not messing with the gingers here. Right. But... And we both have really rare diseases. Yours is even more rare. and Yeah, so approximately 12,000 people in the U.S. I think that's what they're citing. And I will never try to pronounce this because oh. I've tried before and it's, it's, um, yeah, it's I can't. Pretty, pretty wacky. <laughs> Hereditary amyloidosis. And it's a protein that builds up uh, one mutant protein from the liver um, that causes complete mayhem all throughout the body. And for me, special me, in the brain. Yeah, you. Yeah, me. I mean, it's just so crazy when you just think about, like, oh, it's totally going off topic, but, like, one weird twist of a DNA structure and mm-hmm. everything can go to hell. Like, it's never, closed. like, there's one twist of the DNA structure and we get wings or, right. like, a twist or really of the DNA structure. eyelashes. <sighs> that would love that. You know, I like that we went from, like, wings to, like, drag queen eyelashes. <laughs> that, is, that is everything I needed today. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Poor L'Oreal, they'd be like out of business out if of we business could like figure that out. Yes, pretty rad Marvel character. So when you have the protein build up in the brain, what what would that end up looking like? It um it manifests itself like Alzheimer's. That's a very good clear description. So the mental breakdown to the physical breakdown. Yeah, it's physical and mental breakdown. Um, that's it's it builds up over time, and the studies of the past have said five to seven year. Um, from initial diagnosis to eventual death. I mean, there's just nothing snarky to say after that. Yeah, that's just yeah, yeah. It's and and that's within the last you know twenty thirty years of of research. So um, they've definitely got some redefining to do with the new treatments out. So five to seven years is no longer current, but diagnosing it is without a family history is really tough because it looks like fibromyalgia it looks like diabetes it looks like you might have an athlete's heart because it can go into the heart it goes in all these different ways that if you don't have a clinician who looks for the zebra and the hoof beats um doesn't it misses it entirely so i remember you telling me about the test but i'm trying i'm i'm on so many painkillers right now i cannot yeah, remember you're, details you're, you're, you're very happy which is nice uh, well, you know, the, the painkillers do make me happy. Yeah, yeah, it does, yeah. you know, when I'm not screaming and crying mm-hmm. in front of people, the, the happy does sort of like, wow, that's lovely that that's not what's mm-hmm. happening at the moment. Um, I forgot what the test was like, but I remember you telling me like how how even the test is not an absolute. Right. Diagnosing it, um, it, it can look like carpal tunnel in the beginning because it starts as neuropathy, which is, you know, the burning and tingling in the hands. So right now... Still, the gold standard is a tissue biopsy. And they take a little tissue from your stomach and they stain it a particular way and then put it on a certain light so it luminesces and it, it shows the colors, Congo red stain. So getting that biopsy and staining it correctly also takes a very skilled pathologist who understands 
a little, not a lot, because you can overstain it and get false positives, which happened to my cousin's daughter at 18. So it, it, in, all, in all ways, it takes tech clinicians and technicians who understand this disease and its needs. Um, and then you have clinicians who be like, oh, we can do it in-house, and they can't. So it is all around. It's a very tough disease to understand. It's multi-system. You have many specialists, and you don't have often, if you don't have a good caregiver and advocate, you don't have a central person who is directing traffic, per se, and making sure all the communication lines are open. So how did you hear about the test you had, or the, is that, am I saying that right with the test, or is it um, treatment, or? Well, the test that diagnosed me was a fat aspirate test, because they they take fat out of the stomach. I'm just trying to think, because my (laughs) political, um, we're here in the United States, so I'm wondering, like, how you even get your insurance to cover tests like that. Yeah, you have to. I, I felt like with my general practitioner, because I was my mother's caregiver and I watched it with my grandmother and my uncle and then as my mother, I I prepared my general practitioner. At the time, I was with um, an HMO here in the West Coast, well-known, Kaiser Permanente, which is great for primary care, mm-hmm. um, not so much for rare diseases. Or pain management. Or pain management, right. Um so I had alerted my general practitioner that this was of my family history. This is what I would need. And I aligned it much like getting diagnosed. And I hope I pronounced it the BACRA gene with breast cancer. That if you're a geno- oh. genotyped, then you, go, then you are monitored more closely through mammograms and, and blood tests. And so that's essentially how I positioned it with my general practitioner. That I have this family history. I've also built a case history uh, with a, a doctor that was um, a good friend. And presented it to her. At, at 40, this may present itself. And these are the steps I'm going to need. And, and so at 40, I would like to have fat, fat aspirate tests. And so she was very understanding. And she she set that up for me. But I, I, I had to have a face-to-face and lie it out. Like, this is what's coming my way. And um, fortunately, unfortunately, in 2003, I had the genotype. Had I been forward-thinking, I would have gotten my life insurance uh, oh, huh, yeah. Um, so, yes, because if you have any sort of, um, like, even fibromyalgia actually knocked me out of getting life insurance. No. Um, not for everyone. We are not giving life yeah. insurance no, or insurance. I'm Please go speak to a professional. I am not. not don't sue me. Um, but I was actually knocked out of, uh, because of, um, I was also knocked out of getting health insurance before the ACA because of fibromyalgia as well. Right. Yeah. So, so anything Gina covers for health out. insurance, but not life insurance. Yeah. So my cousin, I have a younger cousin who's now 38 and she got it all lined up. She's got life cover. She pays $500 a month into a pre-tax account that she can use for caregiving later God. on. So she was super smart. So this younger generation is, is a lot more savvy. I was not, I was just, my mom was dying um, I, I knew I, I wanted to know because I wanted to feel prepared, you know, that I'm like, I'm going to be prepared. Ha ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> That's but, very true. But, but it just felt like a step forward. Also, was, I mean, you're talking about being the caregiver for your mom who is dying of something. And at that time there was nothing on the horizon of what, what could even hopefully stop this. You no, know? there was no treatment. There was organ transplant, which I always found barbaric because then you're on a host and, and Believe me, organ transplant still saves lives. So I'm not bashing organ transplant. But um, it you have to be sick, but you have to be not too sick. Yeah. 
And so the, being on a, on a transplant wait list is a, is a tightrope walk. And I, for one mutant protein to throw out a perfectly good liver seemed like it wasn't a good logical step for me. Yeah, and uh, just podcast housekeeping. Anyone, we have not had an organ transplant on this oh. on this podcast, so please, if you would like to come on, that is definitely something we would love to chat about. I know that's a tremendous level of upkeep and a um, right. amazing amount of stuff you have to do during the time you're waiting, so please yeah, uh, send, send us a message. I um, would love to talk to you. Uh, so how did you hear about this oh, thing in the horizon? Yeah. So I had been following... Um, so PubMed became my friend here in the United States, where if you, if you have any, science, any scientific publications that get um, submitted, also go through um, the universities for, for research PubMed. And so I just started watching what was being published and, and reading as much as I could and understanding as much as I could. And again, I, because I partnered with my mom's former doctor, he was very helpful in kind of midwifing me into this world and knowledge of the the disease and its intricacies. So I just started paying attention to what was out there and support groups. That was super helpful. Um, I was never a joiner. Uh, I don't, I, 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 find, I don't know what it is. I always find myself sitting in the room feeling very snarky to you know questions like oh that was a stupid question yeah can anyone guess why we're friends like <laughs> met at dog park and i'm like oh right. will you be my friend be my friend you get sarcasm snark my, my person this is how we unhealthily deal with our feelings snark. right right so but the support groups gave i I gave, oh, you hurt yourself. <laughs> if anyone wonders why I laugh in the middle of podcasts at weird intervals or um, where it doesn't seem like I should be laughing, it's usually because I've just dislocated something. It's my way of not screaming. So there is your explanation, everyone. I laugh at pain. <laughs> I, yes, this is uh, not today. Thank you, uh, today. Game of Thrones. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so I, what I found from the support groups is I found the study partners that were the A students that were going to push knowledge forward and and be that ear or be that other person on the ground that's talked to that specialist or is just as pushy so that was instrumental and then right time right place um so and being um being able to put myself in front of a crowd and speak that was also i I had the opportunity to speak in front of the fda back in 2015 where a wonderful woman, Isabel Lusada, who runs the Amyloidosis Research Consortium, brought together the FDA, researchers, pharmaceutical companies, and really brought attention to that this disease needs collaboration um, because we'd had a very important drug denied by the FDA. And I did not know this, but the FDA is, is, has a, had very little understanding of rare disease and this rare disease and the needs of of creating um, clinical trials that served our population. So that was helpful of me getting in front of specialists and and networking. So networking got me to where I think I am today that got me treatment and literally flying across country to see specialists. I mean, I just love that you're like, networking got me to where I am today. And that was like what I would say when I was a photographer and I was running a big business is networking got me here. And you're like, networking got me to a place where I could save my own life. Right. Like, that is amazing to me, the level and energy and resources and time you had to put into 
saving your own life. And it was it was literally a full time job where I would be on the phone just and and I would think that thankfully I had a, a house over my head, I had good insurance, I had internet connection um, that could sit and treat my house like an office. I love that you know exactly where I'm going to go with this, with my political (laughs) leanings going, we are privileged. We live in a wonderful area with good internet connectivity. Most of the time, it's certainly not as good as I would like it. But, you know, and then again, we do not have to worry about putting food on our table. We both have very wonderful husbands who um who make an income and we don't have to live off of disability alone right. like we are in an incredibly privileged situation where if you had this disorder and you were a waitress or a office worker or anyone who does not have full medical health benefits and right. even if you did and you're working 40 hours a week you wouldn't have the time to make these phone calls fly everywhere right go to these specialists across the country like right. This is um, insane, the level of privilege you would have to have to be able to follow this model. We are not, this isn't we are not blind to. to how impossible this would be for a lot of people. We're just saying this is how crazy it is to... My start line to, was yeah. a lot further out. Yeah, which, I mean, that's, that's the whole point of this podcast is some people's start lines are at different places, and we all need to give a tremendous level of understanding to everyone's start line. Right, right. There, there is a... So there, there are 120... <sighs> mutations of this disease and one is uh, from the Caribbean so it's African-American and so everyone in that community has um, heart implications some neuropathy but they with the cardiomyopathy and so just now we've been talking about this serious medication since the 90s just now the 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 African-American community is getting acknowledgement and focus on their needs and they're the largest population in the United States with this disease so it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like every time I do this podcast, I feel like I just need to like face palm into yeah. unconsciousness with like how, how unfair all of it is. Like right. how much, how much people could really benefit from a baseline of compassion from, you know, government economy and healthcare, like right. baseline compassion even would just do so much, but I will rant another day. Yeah, we're um, we're going to put a pin in that. We're going to put a pin on that for right now because we have so much to cover with. Like, so you've heard about this through networking, this, right. this study that you were a part of. Um, how did you get in? Because I remember sitting in your car listening to the phone calls you were on, and it was probably like your sixth phone call of the day. Oh, I seek them out like a debt collector. Oh my God! Yes, <laughs> I always go with pit bull, but I have my new words. Dice like a debt collector, like a debt Thank collector, you. bounty hunter. Well done, like um, a student loan officer. Exactly. I Thank will you. track you down. And you will talk to me. I will call you till you pick up that phone. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, um, being persistent, you know, I, I got I got the golden letter from my specialist out in Boston, who said he would recommend it, and this particular specialist is the doctor who is publishing the most about this disease, um, who who his, has his hands on a lot of research and treatment options. So I could then take that letter to universities that were sponsoring the study. So what it is, the FDA approved, and take a step back, for rare disease, the FDA recognized that there is an unmet need with the community that there, while the treatment is is going through clinical as clinical review is done and they're going under commercial review there is still treatment needed so they're calling this expanded access so it's a new program that allows 
treatment to be sponsored by the company, the pharmaceutical company, and you get the drug for free. Um, and they treat you like a study participant. You have protocols, but it's really just collecting safety data. And if you think it from a marketing perspective, you've got a guaranteed population that when they flip the switch for commercialization, they're ready to go. So you can tell your investors, we've got, you know, so many people lined up. So I know. Well, we might not agree with pure capitalism or healthcare for profit. We do understand that's the only way we're going to save our own lives. So right. We'll play the game. Sure. I'll play the game. But I mean, I just, I can't sit there and be ultra like, oh, they really want to help us. No, they've got to tell their investors. They've got a population lined up to flip the switch and go to, go to green, you know, be in the black. Yeah. So if all of you want to do a quick little, um, but with capitalism healthcare, we have major changes <laughs> and innovation. If there's money to be made. Okay. Bullshit. Yeah. Because a lot of times what happens is diseases like we have, which are very rare, Mm -hmm. and um, there's not the money behind it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times, unless they have something that they can, um, I don't know, get an erection from or clear up the skin or grow hair from, it's going to end up being shelved because they won't make money from this. And even if they find a cure for a lot of what we're talking about, um, unless it's a big disorder like MS or cancer or something that... Mm -hmm. That there's a huge swath of the population that has they can this, benefit financially from that they can benefit financially from they will shelve a lot of the stuff that can actually help us because it will not make the money for the company. So I really want to like put an end to this myth of like financial based healthcare will actually save us all. It might save some of you, and only if you have money and insurance, it will not save all of you. Like the new research that just came out that cancer patients are living longer in a certain demographic. Which just makes you want to throw up. Like, right. you, you should not have to prove your worth economically to live. Right. So I just wanted to, like, throw that little... Yeah, <laughs> you know I couldn't resist. There was a I soapbox. I was going to jump... Even if it. I can't stand or walk, I will jump on that soapbox. Right. Right. It's just not possible and, not and to. to. Also, to, to be fair to the company, they have spent billions of dollars in research. So they also have to... There, there, There is that regaining. Of, and my treatment... I go in for an infusion every three weeks. And this sounds so terrible, but I envy cancer patients in that they like, you have 29 treatments. We're going to give you, mine are infinite until they come up with a new way to deliver this medication. And so the new way is a shot every um, three months. That's what I want to be on. But I have to be on this um, to prove to my insurance company that uh, this is the way I stay healthy. May we just have like a quick little moment for the expensive shit we have to do, expensive and painful shit we have to do to prove to our insurance companies Mm -hmm. or to our pain clinics that we've been a good patient and have tried everything else. Yeah, sorry, that was just a A moment. I just went to the pain clinic yesterday, so yeah, yeah, it was feeling extra special from them. Um, So the the billions of dollars of research and the money that they've put in um, to to make this viable and what's down the road and what's going to be bigger and better. So back to where I was. So the expanded access program. So originally back in August of 2017, they were going to allow 50 people worldwide to be on this program. And so each university got a certain number of slots. And I did not know this, but each university has their own internal regulatory bureau, which they 
approve studies. Now, some universities have got it together and they have a central IRB and they can very quickly. Others take for uh, take a long time. I'm just, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me. Um, but no, no, we love biting love. the hand. <laughs> no, I love biting the hand that feeds me. You, you I, I'm not going to die from what I have. It's just, it's it, it will just kill my life. Happiness. Well, it will kill my quality of life. Right. It's not going to kill me. You absolutely do not gnaw on the hand that feeds you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so some universities are, are, are more, um, um, what's that word? Not more agile, but they can, they can quickly bring a study up and running. No, no, please ask the girl on opioids. Yeah, right. That you can't right. remember. Did you that, mean that, my thesaurus <laughs> opioid girl? <laughs> Never mind. I have my degree in English. Right. <laughs> I know words. I had words. They're just yeah, me and forty-five. We're doing great with our spelling and words. Oh, sorry. Had to. Yeah, had to. So, yeah. So this expanded access access program had fifty spots worldwide, and I was waiting. There was but nothing. for how many people? Like how many people have what you have that are in the U.S.? Yeah, oh. just in the U.S. Like I said, it's it's approximated ten to twelve thousand, and within the the support group, I would say there's a good thousand of us. Okay, so fifty people per university. No, worldwide. <laughs> okay, wow, so much worse than I was going with. So just to get like a basic idea, this isn't Los Angeles. This is something that after you get a diagnosis, you're looking at five to seven years, mm-hmm. and the only hope that's on the market at all. And there's 50 spots for the entire world. Right. So it felt like the great American race. Um, so I was waiting for a university west of the Mississippi to come up. And I was looking at John Hopkins. I was looking at Columbia. I was calling all these places to be like, how am I going to swing flying across the United States every three weeks to get this medication? Meanwhile, my husband's like, just get in. Yeah. But I wanted to take, because that's super important, but I want to take a quick step back because I remember you telling me stories of like, there are people in your support group who would still see their forms on their doctor's desk. Oh, so, so yes. I want some like serious help for people who are, are in your position or in like a, I've heard of this treatment. How the hell do I get into it? How, when you've heard the treatment, what do you do? You're like on your doctor steps. like a debt collector. There we go. And you are on, you cannot, I, I feel like I trust no one to do their job efficiently. Thank you. That's yeah. I mean, because you're in a weird position, though, because someone has your life in your hands. And if you aren't likable, which every woman in the entire world just stood up and did a standing ovation because likability is literally the way you save your life here. Be shrill. I can't be angry. Nope. You can't be demanding or Mm -hmm. naggy or too knowledgeable. God forbid you know too much in a doctor's office. Um, Sorry, I've been called out on this on the female male uh, standpoint. This is just from living as a female for this entire time, and this is this is just what I know from being a woman and how I'm treated and how the media treats people with breasts. So we're going to go with that. People who visibly look female and the likability factor. If you want to get on my case, I will uh, kindly refer you back to 2016. <laughs> um, so yeah, for anyone, you cannot be too knowledgeable. You cannot be shrill. You cannot be, you know, there's so many things you cannot be. You have to be super likable. So you to, walk this tightrope tight rope of, yeah. of being your own advocate, but also acknowledging that, yes, this doctor went to medical school. This person knows and I've said that very before. I've said that to, to, to specialists. I, I am not a medical professional, but I'm an expert in this disease. 
So I wish to dialogue with you. And that seems to be that. That's a good way to phrase that. Thank you. Yeah. So everyone underlined that one. I did not go to medical school, but I've lived this disease for this many decades and I would like to have a dialogue with you. That's, that is the perfect non-threatening, but not complete underbelly. Right. I'm not giving up, but I'm letting you know, I, I demand your respect. That, um, wow, you are brilliant at this. Sometimes I feel like I come up with some bomb mos and then I forget. What did I say? Well, we now have it recorded. So it's a tightrope that you walk with your specialist to make sure that you acknowledge it. And it's, you know, my brother and sister-in-law are both medical professionals and watching them go through medical school and residency, it's, it's brutal. It is, it, they, it, they, they beat them down to hopefully build them up and they're overworked. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for the, I, I empathize with the doctor who has spent years and then has a patient walked in and, and, and demeans, is demeaning. You know, that's, that's not, you don't get anywhere with leading with anger. Which is hard sometimes, it's especially so hard when we're in every right to and, be angry. and you've already dealt with how many specialists before you walked Usually into this six. specialist With this room? disease, you've normally seen six specialists yeah. before you get correctly diagnosed. So the basic rules for life is... Start each new interaction with the assumption of humanity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just start each interaction fresh and with the assumption of this is another person and they believe I am a person and we will treat each other with mutual respect every single time. Super good practice in life. Which is sometimes hard when you get to someone who is doesn't work on that platform. Yeah, it's uh, it's super fun. <laughs> so, fifty spots worldwide. Um, so I felt like I was on this time clock of like, are these spots going to dry up before I even get the chance to get on this medication? So finally, at, uh, at Baylor University in Dallas, Texas, came up, and I'm like, okay, that's that's close enough that it's a three hour flight from the Bay Area here in California that I could I could fly I could get southwest as a major hub there that wouldn't be terrible and I didn't even think of like if I get in where am I gonna stay mm-hmm. I didn't even I'm like I had to put that out of my mind I had to be like I'll address one that. step at a time one step at if I get into the program because my aunt who lived in Dallas Texas, she's like where are you gonna stay you should need to start a GoFundMe I'm like don't we just love how in the United States GoFundMe has become our new health insurance? That's so love shitty. It. it is so shitty. And not like that, like I'm, I'm, my, my husband makes a good salary. I, I felt like a sense of pride. Like, how do I even go to people I don't know and, and, and beg for money? I'm, we are not. Okay, but we also live in one of the yeah. most expensive places in the United States. So when people are like, oh, well, your husband makes close to six figures. You must be, like, rolling. No, I promise you, here in the Bay Area. What did six, they say? Uh, uh, $90,000 are considered? Uh, well, if you go down to where I used to live, that was actually the poverty line was 90000 Um, Ugh. Like, you can't rent a room out here for, like, less than $800. Like, right. And then when you look at, like, the loss of time, say, well, we'll leave yeah, the, again, the pin yeah, that. we'll pin that. But when you're talking, that was one thing that I don't think people understand is that even if you get into one of these, you're probably going to have to go somewhere else. So your airfare, mm-hmm. your hotel. none of, And what's for clinical trials, when you're on a clinical trial, all that is covered. So with this investigational trial or this expanded access, they sponsor only the drug. And then it's up to the, I've also found this out the hard way. It's up to the university to negotiate the contract as you pay for pre-meds and infusion costs. Because with this, there's this. Holy, I didn't even think of that. What? Okay, give us the, what does the infusion cost? 
Like, what's the infusion cost? Like, um, so, uh, and again, facility costs are different. Hospital, hospital, mm-hmm. based on no logic, mm-hmm. from what I can get. And but, good luck getting an answer, by the way, right. on what any of these breakdown so costs to, will be before you I get your bill. Where I went to sit on the bill, to sit on the bed or sit in an infusion chair in $1,400. Yeah, to sit. No, please, please understand that she's not saying the needle, Mm-mm. the any of the hardware. She is saying to sit on the chair in the infusion clinic would be $1,400. I just want you to sink this in because this is something that she had to do how many times? I do it every three weeks. So yeah. 17 times during a year. So... Mm, Basic multiplication, people, because I uh, didn't go to school for math. Thank you, yeah. Katya. Yeah, um, I, yeah you're, you're looking at a significant amount of money that is not covered by insurance. And so, and, and hopefully, and so I, our program, uh, we have a PPO and it's 90-10, so I have to meet the deductible and then mm-hmm. it's covered. Oh, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> fortunate in that respect. I'm a little jealous of your insurance right now. <laughs> right, but that you still have to pay that, and so even 10% of that bill could be um, $700. Until you get, you meet your deductible and then you're 100% covered. So sitting on the bed is, is $1,400. Then it's then it's the cost of infusion, which is another $800. Then it's the Tylenol that costs $48. Then it's the IV Benadryl that costs $148. And then it's the IV steroid. Because with every infusion, what I've seen is that the standard pre-med is steroids and Benadryl. Yeah, that would, that would absolutely make sense. For inflammation and histamine, for histamine reaction. Um, so that it was a cost in itself. And then they don't cover. And again, based on how the university negotiated contract, they may or may not cover your meal. So even when you go to sit in that chair for up to four hours, which I do, Mm -hmm. um, I pack my own lunch stand where I go. Um, we didn't hear that. We didn't hear that. No, no, Um, no, no. Where I go, uh, it's not, I I pack my own lunch. I will say I know where you go and and the food is excellent there, but very expensive. I, I, I've certainly been there many times. Right. So, um, so I went into Baylor not knowing if, not understanding what I was walking into, just knowing I got to get treatment. So they approved me and within a week, um, Access became available on the West Coast at Oregon Health Science University in Portland. So I'm like, okay, Portland, I can fly there. And it was, it was, a, it was a gift in that I have a maternal aunt and uncle. I could stay with them. And they picked me up. They drove me there. I, rarely did I have to take a Lyft or, or an Uber to and from the airport to get there. Um, I had a safe place to stay afterward if I wasn't feeling well. I didn't have to sit in a lonely hotel room. So, and I got... You know, you're bringing up a lot of things that I was, I'm really happy you bring up because those aren't the things you think about. You think, oh, you're just really happy you get this that might save your life. But there's, there's a lot of emotions when you're dealing with, with these things. There's a lot of hope. There's mm-hmm. a lot of fear. And that you don't have your support network with right. you when you're traveling for this. Right. And my first, my first infusion went really well. My second infusion, my blood pressure dropped to 70 over 40. And, and so, you know bouncing back on what I found with every infusion, how well your infusion goes is almost, it predicts how well your body's then going to react, which makes sense that your, your body doesn't have to bounce back from, from dehydration, from a state of emergency that you get to motor along. Um, so I spent the first two months with this. I felt like I was playing the hokey pokey. Well, what if I, and the, 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 the clinic doctor basically told me when my blood pressure dropped, I think you should salt up the night before and bring your blood pressure up. But he wasn't looking at, I'm, 
and he, he wouldn't know, but I was also on a drug that's a beta blocker that reduces my blood pressure for chronic migraines. I had to suss out myself, oh, if I stop taking this drug three days before, which is a washout, I can go in and get, and with a little bit of caffeine, and making sure I have lots of water, I can get my blood pressure high enough to where if I drop what I've seen, 30 points, I'm not at a deficit. I'm at, so if I go in like 130 or 140 over 80, I drop 30 points. I'm still at a good place. I'm not, you know, 100 over 60, which, or not 100, sorry. Yeah, like 160, which is low for me. And even though professionals say, oh, that's not bad. You live in this body with all this medication and have low blood pressure and the dizziness and the nausea that that comes with your body being inundated with medication. So you're talking about brand new medication. There's no way for them to know how it's going to react with any of your other medications you're on. Right, because when the clinical trials, you had to come off of everything. It was very regulated. So they would say, oh, what are you on? And I'd be like, this, this, and this. Does it react? And they'd be like, hmm. <laughs> it's like when you're pregnant and you're like, these are the medications I take. Will this be a problem? Don't know. No one's tested this on pregnancy. Right. So I, I had to go through a lot of my own trial and error of what worked for me, what got me a good result, what got me out the door and didn't feel like I was a baby giraffe walking out of the infusion room, you know? You're coming up with the best metaphors today. <laughs> I am like living for your metaphors. <laughs> but I just and if it's like... not a more English literature, like, <laughs> major statement, I don't know what is between like a drag queen and lit major, but right. living Aww. for your metaphors, totally, yes. Thank you. Thank you. So this... This expanded access, because it's investigational, they're only watching me for safety. Like, do I have adverse events? And if you have an adverse event during your infusion, you could get branded with an infusion-related reaction. And that IRR then can hinge upon your ability to stay in the program. What was that called? Infusion-related reaction, an IRR. Yes. Wow. So <laughs> that could get you kicked out. Based on the the judgment of the clinic doctor. Fortunately, the clinic doctor that I had was was very understanding. Um, he a gentle, kind person um, who didn't have to hang his hat on this as a way to show his prowess in the you know the medical world he wanted to bring people in obviously it's it speaks to his practice but um there are definitely specialists out there um who feel that this is this extension of their <laughs> i like what we're not saying here yes uh, their extension ego. of their ego yes thank you we'll, ego. we'll use ego Ego's um good so he 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 and the study coordinator she was an amazing woman so organized and so we together really found out what and the and i mean you aren't just doing leaps of faith you're doing mario brothers leaps like it's just one leap after another after another and the clinic nurse there at the at the um infusion center had the 25 years of chemo experience and had been a breast cancer survivor herself so and kindness I remember one day he looked at me like, what if we just slow your rate down? I know this is the protocol they want you at these levels, but I really think you would tolerate the medicine better. God, having anyone who's gone through something, the empathy you can get is just 
Right. But then I didn't even know what to do now. She didn't say to me, oh, you need to have a doctor's order. I didn't know that that was the magic sentence that opened the golden door for me to change my protocol. And again, this hospital was very... Because some people aren't going to want to even, like, take that dice roll of change protocol because you could be the difficult patient. You or you're the, the one, oh, you have an infusion-related reaction. I'm sorry, you can't tolerate this medicine. Yeah. So my cousin across the United States was white-knuckling every infusion because she, like myself, had reactions to the speed of the, of the, of the, de- the, de- the delivery and had, had really nausea and dizziness and all these things that, like having a flu and she'd have to get on a train for six hours and pray that she didn't have diarrhea <laughs> okay so once again because we did this the first time here is our big like ask for the silicon valley airbnb Having mm-hmm. the billions of dollars you seem to have in revenues, maybe you subsidize people to be able to stay over for medical things. Ronald McDonald House cannot hold everyone who's there for their sick relatives, and there's those of us who are sick who need to be closer to our hospitals. You guys could totally right. subsidize this, since the government doesn't seem to be interested in helping anyone. Mm-hmm. Corporations are people, so hey, let's be nice people, and Uber oh. and Lyft. Dear God, Uber, you need a huge PR boost. So maybe you guys could start subsidizing rides to chemo, to right. to trials, Lyft. You seem fairly nice. Go ahead and try that out. Like these are all things that right. these multi-billion dollar companies that don't pay taxes um, could actually do, do to pay back the people who are subsidizing their taxes. So again, it all kind of depends on the on the university, their not only their culture but their protocols, their their viewpoints. Um, so, again, you're in this investigational trial. You're not tied to a clinical review, but you don't have commercial access. So every time I said, you know what would be great if I could get less steroids? 10 milligrams, while well, you think is nothing. I, I'm a Who raging monster. 10 milligrams is nothing for steroids? That's right. That's right. like hulking out. Like. I was a total hulk, and then I, I couldn't sleep for days. And so I remember asking, could you at least reduce it to seven and a half? Okay, now can you reduce it to five? And I didn't even have the knowledge to ask that until I was at my yearly um, evaluation with my specialist out on the East Coast. And he said to me, that's a lot for your stature. Okay, so queen of phrasing, how do you ask for a change of protocol? (laughs) I love putting you on the spot. It's so cute. So what I have found is instead of saying, you know, I would like, and I had my my brother-in-law say this, they don't deal well with emotions because they rightfully so have to shut those off because then they would be on empathy overload mm. facts i would t- i i see that i would tolerate this medication better if you could reduce it by five percent or you could reduce it to a level of seven and a half like just recently i asked i'm getting 50 milligrams of iv benadryl the lovely nurses split it up into two doses of 25 milligrams with a saline wash, and they push excruciatingly slow, so that I don't, I don't feel like I've just beer bonged <laughs> Benadryl. All right, that's the most depressing <laughs> college party ever. <laughs> I don't, I get drunk, and I don't get the the uh, the rest of the fun. It really affects me. I feel sick. I feel woozy. So these lovely nurses push it slow. So I asked. I would better. I would feel like I could tolerate this infusion better if I could have a reduction to 
40 milligrams. But I asked, can you reduce the Benadryl? No. Well, what if you just reduce it by 5%? I don't even know if I'm doing that right. But being very, I feel, I, I believe I would tolerate so instead of I feel, instead no, of like, I feel. so all of my geek friends out there who are Star Trek, go data. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> just instead of like the I feel, it's go with doctor speak. Mm-hmm. I would tolerate mm-hmm. this better. I believe I would tolerate, can we try? Right, X, X milligrams. Yeah, so doctor speak. Be very specific so they can say, oh, oh yes. good, yeah, very specific. I like that. Specificity. So do you remember anything that if you had known before you'd even signed up for this that would have helped you? Is there anything you wish you had done differently? That's a good question. That's okay. Um, I, that's it, like a it, big one. Because it just feels like it's such been a, a roller coaster. Just to... Because um... you've been on a roller coaster emotionally, financially. Your family has... Mm-hmm. Had, you have young kids who are asking a lot of questions and that it's been very difficult for you to be gone for the three days a month. Right. Well, you know, cause a day and a half every three weeks, um, when I was flying up to Portland and now I'm here in the Bay area. So that has been helpful. Um, ask like, cause this, this program is very unique and it, it is unique to rare disease. So with clinical trial, everything's taken care of. I mean, you're, you're, it's, they even now are looking at with clinical trials of having concierge services to make your travel arrangements, to set up. Oh my God. How, any, anyone want to work on an Eller stainless clinical right. trial? Please, POTS right. clinical trial? Right. I'm in. So with this in, being in, in between worlds, um, you have to know what you will stand for. Like when I moved to this new, um, to, to this new university here in the Bay Area, they didn't transfer any of my protocol overs of you know my reduction in steroids, the 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 change in the speed of delivery. So I had to refuse care. I literally said I refuse care until you can get the doctor to approve protocol that was set forth by the previous university. God, you're brave. <laughs> that would scare the hell out of me to refuse care and like maybe not. Right. So my 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 thought was, what's the worst going to happen? I don't think they want to kick me out because the university had spent eight months plus trying to get this study at, at their university. They're not, and, and the study coordinator, I remember following the nurses around going, this is compassionate care. This isn't, but they didn't understand. They're used to their clinical trials that they have to like almost with a military stance. You have to follow it to the T and it doesn't say it on this paper. And if it doesn't say it on this paper, then it doesn't go. Um, so I, I, I just, I, I took a, again, another leap of faith and I, I don't think they're going to kick me out, but I refuse to be tortured because they didn't, the steps weren't taken on their end to make sure. I'm going to make you a t-shirt that says not a lab rat. Oh, and human, not lab rat. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's another thing is like, come on. I mean, I had a nurse, the head nurse rush in and be like, I have to give you protocol. I'm like, no, you don't call the doctor you do not have to do protocol so there's a difference and you can ask for a better protocol but if you're in a clinical trial this might not be the advice you need no hell no no you have to you sign a contract and it is set in stone and you get kicked off the clinical trial so it's 
All right, clinical trial, and I keep forgetting what to call your what you're doing. Investigational study. You know, all these. Terms. I used to be so much smarter before children and medication. <laughs> and medication. I mean, Jesus, children and medication. Get it? God help me. It. Brain fog. Um. Yeah. So that that was a roller coaster. So I don't know if I would have done anything different. It's just. Um, what was in your like must pack for going oh, to a trial? Like yes, the, t- the base. Not even like like what would be for clinical or investigational. Like what was your must pack water. to bring with you? Water, um, anything that made my stomach feel better. Ginger tea, um, salted nuts in case I knew my blood pressure was going to drop. Um, caffeine to give me an extra boost. Um, Zofrin, that's on a Desteron. I know that one. Um, a leave. Um, I could do that. I could, if I were on a clinical trial, you could not take that, but I could take a leave because it, it helped with, I was having a conversation with my sister-in-law and I said, you know, I have all this chest pressure, but I'm not, I, again, I was afraid to say anything. And she's like, well, is it, you lie down and it's worse and you sit up and it's better. I'm like, yeah. She's like, yeah, taking a leave. I think you'll be, you'll feel better. I'm like, God, that would have been nice to have that conversation with my clinic doctor because but again, they're in a gray world. So they, they dance a line of suggesting what to give me. So it's, again, when I mentioned this redheaded stepchild, it would be nice for them to say, this, since I know we have the freedom of not being in a clinical trial, this is what I can suggest. But then it takes that doctor being, having that confidence. I mean, I, I think it was a, a lot of confidence that doctor say, salt up, have a salty breakfast, have a salty dinner. So that you know you're retaining water. Because I would fly and flying dehydrates you. Hmm. So if you're flying anywhere for treatment, water, 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 water. Water. And be be diligent about anything that is a diuretic. Oh my. Yeah. Things to think about there. Coffee is a diuretic, Coffee. everyone. Or even people who are on, on meds because they have edema, they're on diuretics for, for heart complications. That's especially prominent in our population is having cardiomyopathy, so they're on diuretics to help with the, the swelling they get. Oh, yeah, that's that is for POTS, too, yeah. Right, and so, and again, I'm on a beta blocker for migraine. Um, it, I, I would have told myself, come off that. I'm already, I've, I've reduced it as much as I can on a daily basis so that there's times I forget. Like, that would be the night before my infusion. I'm like, oh, dang, I forgot to do the three-day washout. Okay, so now I know I have an extra cup of coffee and some salted cashews on my way to my infusion, so bolster up my, my blood pressure. Have an extra cup of coffee sitting there so that I know if, I, if I'm low, you know, because usually it's fine until I get the investigational medicine and then I dip. And I'm like, okay. And the nurses checking, check my blood pressure every time they change the titration. They're fabulous. And, so, and I write all this down in the journal, and I journal everything that happens during Brilliant. infusion and post-infusion to see, because I've been able to see over the last year and a half, I have a 30-point drop. That's consistent. And how well I am, you know, in the beginning kind of predicates what happens down the line. So for um, physical comfort, what would you, like if someone's going for the first mm-hmm. chemo treatment or their first infusion treatment or... You know, a weighted blanket, I think those for, for anxiety, if, you, if, if you're getting, if you, if you feel tired, take a nap. Don't don't power through it get some little those wonderful eye shades and uh, or a warm blanket take a nap make and and i also find i will load up on my phone um comedies 
I need to laugh. Brilliant. Yes. Or stand up. Or again, drunk history or key and peel. Oh my God, they make me laugh out loud by myself. And so I also have a little uh, a nest I set up. I have a little container where I carry lifesavers and ginger chews and Werther's and a bag that has tea, honey, um, cashews, Aleve, Zofrin, and then a big water bottle. And then I have a lunch that I pack that I know every time if I eat, you know, a whole grain turkey and swiss sandwich and some chips and an apple i know it'll do well and then i towards the end if i've an hour to my departure glucose so some apple juice a protein bar so because i drive myself home yeah i i'm just in awe of you being able to like I, I know that i have a special condition and i can't drive anyway but like anyone who goes through a few hours of having a needle in their arm mm-hmm. and just sitting still and then getting in a car and the traffic I oh, know you're going through because I yeah. know exactly where you're going and I know that traffic and if An you don't hour. get out at the perfect time you are now in for the entire day right um I, I just pee before I go to make sure that yeah. my bladder's empty right I mean like that's the other thing is you're also dealing with like other other factors as well with the medications and you're now stuck in a pretty intense drive like I cannot believe you're actually physically capable of driving home after all that it's it's more willpower I think like I will get home yeah I've never met anyone whose willpower is as strong as yours and I was a ballerina like Uh, you impress me thank you I don't it's just just a drive not I I watched a beautiful strong loving woman get torn down to nothing I miss my mother intensely she was a good person on this earth and I will not be brought brought down like she was I just can't and we're definitely going to do an episode (laughs) about your mom because she's I never got to meet her and she sounds amazing and I really want to know more about like what it was like to care give Mm. especially a genetic disorder where I mean there's a lot you're watching it knowing that may be your future and it's ripping your heart out yeah it's and we will definitely talk about that because I think that's I I know that you are not the only person who went through that or is going through that and thank you everyone who writes here but the big part of this podcast is people feel less alone so I definitely want to want to do that because also um, to all those caregivers Caregivers need so much love, focus, mm-hmm. and attention because they don't get nearly enough of it, and mm-hmm. they go through a lot, and you went through a whole lot of watching and helping, and mm-hmm. and now you have this chance, and I know that was one of the big things that you've always talked about is part of your strength and your focus is to make sure that your kids, if they do end up with this, mm-hmm. will have a better fighting chance. Right, and that they, they see the model that you never ever give up on yourself and at their time and then when you do when you have those low days I, I my son has got such a tender heart and you know he's going through preteen so his emotions are so big and I just don't let it wash over you you don't don't deny it don't don't chide yourself for being weak to them just let it wash over you have those awful days and then you gotta pick up your bags and move on there's something about um let it wash over you. Don't let the undertow. Yeah, drag you down. Yeah. Um, I know that's what works for me. I'm not saying I'm some sort of life coach. 
You are so some sort of life coach. Jesus. <laughs> like one of the best people I can call and go, I'm losing my mind. Um, but I think that there is, um, sorry, I'm also like writing our show notes while we're going because I'm like, I will never have the energy to listen to the hour and then write my show notes. So I'm writing this while we're going because I, I really think we're hitting some really important things. I want to put the minute number down yeah. so that it's really easy for anyone who's like, I know you wander in your conversations, but there's some real definite information here, I here need. Are the pins you need to look at. Yeah, for. and um, how to talk to people in your life um, about this. I think you give some of mm-hmm. of the best advice, especially when you're talking about children. And mm-hmm. children don't often, you know, they're told a lot of the times to, well, mom's sick. You have to be the strong one. I've never and, told my kids that. Oh, I know you would never, but I do know that that's mm-hmm. something that people have told their kids or caregivers for you, like, or not for you, but like for other people will sometimes go to the children and go, mom is sick. She can't deal with your mom. You need to be Oh yeah. So you mom. have to be, you have to tamp down being a child. Exactly. And that's been like the big thing, like in our house that we've had to, to really like hit home for the kids over and over and over again, because I, I won't die from this. So I will get worse progressively or however long I'm here and like the big thing to my kids is like I'm not your responsibility right you can feel sad about this you can feel whatever you need to feel about this except Mm -hmm. responsible like I am not gonna let you decide you're my caregiver you know like and that's just how our family is working please whatever your families are doing your families um and we struggled last year you know I was flying out um every 21 days and I noticed as the treatments went on I got home and my daughter would just unleash it on me. I remember that. Oh, it was so hard because I would, I hear I was feeling awful from just flying and, and I felt like she was kicking me when I was down. It felt like a personal attack. And I'd be like, wait a second. She's eight. Yeah. She's struggling to put her mind around this. So I had to be very upfront of, and, and give her, tactics and give her control too like we started putting my treatments on calendar so she knew when it was coming and wasn't surprised by it so we had a lot of but I had to sit and have very brutally honest conversations and then also start recognize that steroids made me different so in the moment I also had to be very self-aware and and like if I lashed out I have to be like you know I just overreacted I'm very sorry can I restate that can we just have a quick word for like, yeah, I'm sorry is not a bad thing to say no, as a parent. You're not, you're not a bad parent by, by apologizing and admitting fault. How can you get them to admit fault if they don't, if you don't model it? I've never understood that. Like this idea of like, you are somehow this deity as right. parent, Omnipotent and you are perfection and the paragon, but you want your kids to be able to say, oh, I was wrong. I should really do that better next time. They can't do that unless you do that. Like, right. it's just not possible. Again, if you do this differently in your house and it works for you, cheers, mazel tov, less and be. Um, this yeah. is like what's you know, like <laughs> the parenting self-discovery. Right. Um, you had told me a really important point about the difference between the cost of medication in the United States versus mm. because you're getting to the end of the trial. Is that right? So my last infusion for this investigative study is... February 15th, and I move over to um, commercial access. Yeah. And so this... What does that mean? So that means I have to start paying for the drug and the infusion costs and everything that goes with it and run it through my insurance. Because this actually helped you, is that right? Yeah. So I've had documented disease regression um, by more than one specialist. That's amazing. That I know. And that's what, my again, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law said that you know the best you can hope for is, is stopping the disease in time. It is unheard of to 
to see disease regression. Um, and I caught it very early. I was lucky that I was, I, I feel like I, I finagled my way in. That's the only the best way I can say it is I, I got in um, and I'm getting better. So now I have the insurance has to see that. And this medication, because it, it's not a pill. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the insurance industry and the FDA has really figured out how to deal with this new, and there's going to be other treatments. There's hereditary blindness, same thing. It's $800,000 a year. Um, so you're, for you to go to commercial access, it's four, $450,000 a year. It's... Oh, please, everyone, just let that sink in, especially those of you who are in countries that um, I know that you guys would have a lot of trouble socialized medicine. I know that trying to to get this kind of treatment access would be insane. Now, we're going to explain very quickly why it would be different in your country, because Mm -hmm. in the United States, that's right, we the United States government is not allowed to negotiate with. Like the cost, the true cost of this medication is not four hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. So if you go over to another country, like, mm-hmm. so like putting this into like something that everyone would deal with, you need an MRI. Mm-hmm. I was charged $15,000 10 years ago for an MRI. My insurance refused to cover it. That's what I was billed was $15,000. So I would like to ask those of you in Sweden, Switzerland, the UK, I know it's hard for you guys to get your MRIs. I get that. I know you're, the waiting list is, is hard, but I'm just asking. And those of you in Australia, especially, mm-hmm. what do you get charged? What is your insurance or what is your, what does the NHIS get charged for an MRI? Right. Because when we're talking about these extreme numbers, that's because that's what these drug companies are charging our insurance or, mm-hmm. So just, you know, that's, you know, when we're talking about $48 an aspirin, that's because that's what the hospital charges. The insurance is $48 for an aspirin. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about these extreme things and people are like, there's no way we could have universal health care because we'd never be able to afford $450,000. Well, we need to actually find out what the true cost of everything is before we start having that and, conversation. And there are, because these are also, this is a gene silencing um, approach. So they're, they're at the beginning of a, a totally new 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 modality of treatment. And so the way it is, is structured in the U S needs to, needs to change because it's, it, I heard uh, a talk on NPR. It's like paying rent versus paying mortgage. Oh, that's a good way to phrase it. So it, the, the, the way that it's structured needs to change. Um, and because there's other, there's are many other diseases that are looking at gene silencing or immunotherapy that are, um, high tech. Yeah. So it has this, the, the, the price structure has to change. And maybe that is the, the cost for right now while it's something that is only in small batches, but if it became something that was available to everyone who has this disorder, mm-hmm. there might be ways to change. And we're, we're at like this weird horizon point of medication mm-hmm. and medicine. And mm-hmm. there's so much that's possible right on that. Right. That line. Right. So, um, they, they created, um, through a nonprofit, um, the assistance fund, and I qualified. So they help pay for insurance premiums. They help pay with co-payments. They help pay for um, specialist co-payments and uh, infusion costs. I can't get anything in writing. Oh, so it's it's been a very nebulous experience so far. Of I and my husband's like. It's going to get covered. I'm like, 
they don't. Ish. <laughs> or what the, the pharmaceutical company does not want is me coming off treatment, and they absolutely need every patient on treatment no matter what. So I have to kind of bank on that. They, they aren't going to want to see this fail. There are, there's too much invested to see failure. You would like the reason to be, there's this person who is actually getting a shot at living. Right. Um, we would like her to continue living and not be, right. we've already invested money into this, and we need to see if this actually has a long term right. and follows patient through to make sure it, it works for however long. Right. It'd be nice if there was like, I mean, I know we, like, I'm uh, dancing through the flowers and singing kumbaya, yeah. but I just, it's it would be nice if there was ethics along with science. Like, if there was like, a baseline of compassion for for people rather than a profit line right and you know or at least if compassion and ethics were at the same level as a profit line like i'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to make money i'm just saying like it'd be nice if it was balanced yeah yeah and insulin is a great experience uh, you know uh, indication of that mm. um <laughs> in this in this world that i am in <clears throat> it's a very small community so everyone knows everyone and that's been a benefit um I've been able to reach out and make phone calls when I've had stumbling blocks and those stumbling blocks were cleared. Um, but again, it's, it's knowing who to call when, yeah. when to make that cry for help and not be the one who's crying wolf all the time of knowing this, this, this situation warrants me pulling on the strings and calling the people that I know can make things happen. So that that's also been a dance. Um, that the patients have to, to, to do. Um, so it's, it's an interesting world for sure. So my um, body has not gone beyond the painkillers. I was on and um, we, I, we are going to be wrapped up. So here's the thing. I have, um, I have incredible empathy for Kira. So as I'm looking at the questions I was supposed to ask you and realizing I didn't ask any of them. Should we just drill so, them? Well, no, I'm <laughs> not doing that to you or me. Um, I'm going to send them to you and I'm going to put them on the show notes. Okay. So that we can get a nice list. So please go to the website, um, invisiblenotbroken.com and um, we're we're gonna have like all of the answers there, and also um, if you are like, wow, they're talking a lot. I also will be putting down an estimate of the time period when we talked about those. <laughs> Again, I'm doing the best I can on a lot of painkillers and two dislocated tibias. Yay! Um, so uh, yeah, so please go over to invisiblenotbroken.com and um, take a look at these show notes. If you have other questions for Don, because I know this is like a really big issue and it's a really important issue. Um, put them in the comments. I read comments. I I really do. And um, by the way, it'd be nice to me because I have like three feelings and a few of you have hurt the last two. So <laughs> no trolling. Nice. No be trolling. Nice. Um, or if you're going to troll, be really funny about it because I can totally respect funny That's trolling. I, I'm all for some good. I, I have raised a teenage boy. I am good with like at least make it funny. Snark. Love snark. Um, but please write any questions for Dawn. I will make sure she gets them and we'll see if we can get them answered for you the best we can. Um Real quick housekeeping. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I am absolutely amazed that we now have an audience in Africa. What? And in China. Worldwide. And South Korea. <laughs> and, um, gosh, you know, all of you in the UK and Australia and Sweden and Switzerland. Thank you. Wow. Did not know. I'm really jealous, by the way, because these are, like, all my must-travel-before-I-die lists. Like, this is bucket list places you guys are listening. So I can't tell you how grateful I am that at least my voice is getting there right now. So cheers to that. Um, Nicest thing you can do for us if you like us or if we annoy the hell out of you and you want to annoy someone else, go ahead and send them this podcast. We don't advertise. So if you share us with people who might be looking at, like, 
a clinical trial or an investigative trial. Ah, I did it. Yay. Um, Send this over to them as a way to like prepare for that. Um, If there are people in your life who just don't seem to understand your condition, go through a look through our past episodes. See if we have that. Send them to people in your life who might get a better understanding of that. If we don't have your disorder, please Go ahead, go on to our website. I have a future guest section. Fill that out. Send it to us. We are always looking for new and fun guests. Thank you so much. And uh, tune in next week. And uh, be kind. Be Be gentle. gentle. Be a badass. Be a fucking badass.